Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a part of Gestalt IT, and each episode we bring you the perspectives and opinions of a group of luminaries in the IT space, and we pick a topic, a, a premise, to debate so that we don't go wandering off into the weeds. I'd like to take a moment for our guests to introduce themselves for this episode before we jump into the premise, starting with Tim. I'm Tim Bertino. I'm a systems architect with, I guess you could call it a focus in uh, networking communications in the healthcare space. And I also co-host the Art of Network Engineering podcast. Hi, I'm Ethan Banks. I am the co-host of the Heavy Networking podcast, part of the Packet Pushers podcast network of which I am the co-founder. And you can also hear me on Day2 Cloud and writing at packetpushers.net and uh, ethancbanks.com. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this episode. Let's jump into the premise. We've got two very knowledgeable, skilled networking folks on the call with us who are very, very forward-looking about a lot of things. And the IT space is not only driven by bits and bytes, it's also driven by economic factors. And because it's the start of a new year, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that uh, some economic analysts are projecting that there could potentially be a recession in IT, you know, those nasty little things that cause us to have to trim our budgets and maybe look really strongly at the amount of headcount that we've got. And everyone's just waiting to see what's going to happen. Is there a way that we can stem the tide? Ironically enough, though, there are some people who really don't care. And that would be some of the folks in the enterprise IT space. They're just kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, hey, you know what, recession or not, we're still going to be here doing our thing, which leads us to the premise of the episode. Uh, enterprise IT doesn't care about a recession. Now, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of armchair economists in the comments telling us about that's not the way that things work. So before we go, you know, a little bit further into this, you know, what are some of the indicators that we're hearing from the greater, you know, economic space that are telling us that we're going through a recession? We are we're, either we're already in one, we're about to go into one, or depending on which feed you subscribe to, yeah, that's, that's still way far off. That's never going to happen. I mean, some of the indicators are uh, just looking at uh, numbers, growth restrictions in certain markets uh, are, are slowing down, like the housing market. That's slowing down dramatically. Interest rates have gone up. It costs more to borrow money. So any market like that that relies on capital to 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 do what you do to grow, if it's more expensive to borrow money, then you're going to slow things down a little bit. So that's that's certainly one uh, one indicator there. And I, I think whether or not we're in a recession, Tom, goes to what industry are you looking at? Uh, if you're looking at the energy industry, not so much. You know, again, going back to housing, you're looking at housing and housing starts way down. Uh, so and that's that's true throughout. It all depends on the industry that you're looking at. Coming out of Silicon Valley, we got a lot of tech folks that are getting laid off by some big brand name companies, but we aren't seeing layoffs globally. In fact, hiring in the US, I heard this morning, we're still at like 3.5% unemployment in uh, this market, in the American market. That's historically low or near the very bottom ever, and it's hard to retain people. So are we in a recession? I mean, who can say, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's the all popular answer, especially heard in IT of it depends. And I do think that it is very industry dependent. Uh, in my personal experience, yes, like you mentioned, Tom, budgets are getting constrained in a lot of areas, but 
things just typically aren't um, spinning down too much. We we seem to be keeping a a level flow of activity and trying to go as business as usual as as things try to rebound. Yeah, and I think you're right. And and you know, Ethan, you're absolutely right. You know, there's a lot of crazy little indicators that you can do. It's like, well, what does inflation look like without the cost of housing or fuel or whatever? But we're going to focus on IT because, well, that's what we do. And one of the things that I think was kind of uh, the canary in the coal mine, if you want to call it that, was late Q1, early Q2 last year, 2022. We started to see some reports that uh, venture capital firms were starting to tell the startups that they were funding, hey, um, can we do something about your runway, your cash burn rate? Can you, um, I don't know, what's the word that we use in, in business? Oh, yeah, make money. Because all yeah. of the sudden, when the borrowing costs <laughs> yeah. went up, yeah. now I'm not borrowing somebody else's money at like 1% interest, and it's my money that I'm having to spend. So I need you guys to actually make money. Do you think that perhaps this kind of um, warning, if you want to call it that, was the first sign, at least in enterprise tech or tech in general, that startups needed to be very careful about how they tread going forward because the money well was starting to run dry. Yeah, startups, I mean, that's clearly the case. That's that's exactly what's going on. Because I've heard those same stories and heard some uh, had some conversations in the back channel about exactly that. Venture capitalists are demanding that you have an actual business model now. They're not going to give you a runway paved with golden bricks forever and ever and ever. You got to take off at some point. You got to get that plane in the air and start making some money for them. Um, venture capital firms still have money. There's still the talk of dry powder. There's money out there that wants to go somewhere, but the VCs are being much more selective about the firms they are putting that money into, what the investments are, how big that investment's going to be, and the expectations of a return and what that time frame is going to be. That does seem to be true everywhere, and not not just in tech, but I mean other industries as well. The VC market has changed quite a lot. So <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that affects enterprise IT spending as such, but it does make it interesting to note that all the churn that we've seen in the startup field over the last, well, Tom, decade, right? How many startups have come and gone, been acquired? It's just been nonstop. Someone's got a new idea, they get funding and off they go. Is that going to slow down in 2023 for the first time since you, know, you and I got into this media thing? Uh, I'll pose this to both of you because I'm, I'm not even a novice armchair economist, but as far as in the IT vendor space and um, how much does supply chain and vendors not being able to realize revenue until gear is shipped and received, how much does that or not potentially play into any recession discussions? That's a fascinating question because that's a, something that has been discussed quite a bit are enterprise tech companies really looking at their forecast and saying, oh yeah, we're going to survive because they have six months of revenue that they haven't been able to book yet because that gear hasn't shipped yet. Like the, the, the common thing that I love to talk about is it's the Peloton pull through problem. Uh, back at the beginning of the recession, I'm sorry, not the recession, back at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, everyone was cooped up in their house and they're like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go buy Peloton because I'm going to work out. And Peloton looked at their sales numbers for the first few months after the pandemic started like, oh, wow, everybody loves us. Mm -hmm. And they had this really hard decision to make. Is this people who were already going to buy a Peloton that just decided to pull the trigger on doing it? Or is this 
a growth in what we're trying to do. And so Peloton had basically one of two decisions to make. Do we continue to make the same inventory that we have, knowing that things are eventually going to fall off? Or do we ramp up production, hoping that this is just a, a an expansion of our market? Uh, they picked the latter, and it turned out that they were wrong. <laughs> Everybody that bought the Peloton was the people who were going to buy the Peloton for the next two years. And they actually had way too much inventory. And they went in a matter of what was it like six or seven months from being the darling of everybody's stock portfolio to can somebody please buy us before we go bankrupt? And, and they they obviously had to adjust there. But that actually kind of speaks a little bit more into maybe a little bit of enterprise IT. I mean, does does a company like Cisco or Juniper or EMC think that they're going to be making money this year? against a recession because, oh yeah, well, we sold these eight VMAXs that we haven't shipped yet, but should we make eight more VMAXs for the customers that we might get, not thinking about whether or not the customers that would be buying their stuff are also going to be going through that recession? Well, there are companies I think that have, because of the pandemic and because of supply chain issues, there are undone projects that aren't necessarily booked revenue already. They're just They've been waiting to get those projects done. And now, finally, uh, supply chains are starting to settle out and they can go ahead and move ahead on those projects. Does that mean make eight more VMAXs? You know, I, that's kind of tough to predict, but I do think there is pent up demand that is uh, ready for these. And that, to me, this is where, where you know, if, if our premise is enterprise IT don't, doesn't care about the recession, this is part of it. They haven't been spending all that much on infrastructure over the last couple of years. Some committed funds for some projects and so on, uh, put some orders on, uh, on, on hold inevitably because of the, uh, the supply chain, but they are ready to move and they have things that they need to get done to move their business ahead and some cash that they're sitting on. And they seem to be, based on employment numbers and other things that we're seeing, business does seem to be getting done. Things aren't, we aren't seeing too many slowdowns on the whole. So, you know, do you, again, do you make eight more VMAXs? I, I don't know. I think you make some more. There's demand there. So there's a question of whether or not businesses are making money. Obviously they are. Maybe not as much as they want to make, but they've also come off of, well, we're almost three years into whatever we're calling this now, where you know people are working remotely. Uh, enterprise office space is no longer commanding the premium that it used to. And a lot of companies made the decision to move to cloud. Well, if I don't have people in an office, why do I need to keep an office up? And so a lot of things moved out there. Now, what we're also seeing is a lot of people looked at the bill after moving everything into your favorite cloud provider of choice and went, oh, wow, let's not do that. So they're starting to pull it back. Could part of these projections about whether or not enterprise IT spend is going to stay the same or possibly go up, coming from the fact that the enterprise IT vendors are sitting there just, you know, rubbing their palms together, knowing that they're about to get some of that that sweet, sweet OPEX budget that was allocated to Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Oracle, whomever, for the last few months running instances that quite honestly would be a lot cheaper to run in your own data center. Yeah, again, I, I think it goes back to, to industry. You, you are going to always have some of those industries like retail that are always going to have, at least for the foreseeable future, that brick and mortar footprint. Um, and they're still going to need that gear and, and need upgrades. But yeah, I mean, we've obviously seen and, and heard the stories about many organizations shutting down real estate, people just going remote completely. And I, I could definitely see you know, some less spending there, less on the physical infrastructure side and, and more on cloud and, and subscription-based um, 
services now in the future. Well, that, so Tim, you're talking about an infrastructure spend. Is that that's really where your mind is at on uh, where that spending is going to go, or are you also thinking there'll be some infrastructure liquidated because they're going to pick up SaaS? Oh, um, yeah. I guess I was just thinking from the standpoint of new purchases, but yeah, there would be. I would think potentially. I mean, if if companies are shutting down physical buildings, I mean that that gear either has to get dispersed or just goes away altogether. Yeah, the physical infrastructure side of things is interesting because we the, the vacancy rates are at you know, very high in a lot of metro areas. I think San Francisco area might be setting some some records, Tom. I I know you're in touch with a lot of folks out there and where they're working from these days. The, the, so the cost of real estate is being driven down, right? So we don't need as much infrastructure presence just just for like for access and so on. But I don't know about infrastructure spend for things like data center hosting. Um, that is, we are seeing people come back out of the cloud because of how how spendy it is to do things in the cloud. And it's, it's becoming uh, easier and easier to run your own cloud-like architecture on-premises. So if you can do that, uh, and your workload was never really going to work that well in public cloud to begin with, ah, we tried it, didn't work out, let's bring that, let's bring it back. But where are they bringing it back to? I think in a lot of cases, they're not bringing it back to their own nasty little computer room they had, like so many of us have worked in, you know, something that's like, okay, let's put a raised floor and an air conditioning and some extra power. It's a computer room. No, it's a crappy little closet. Um, but <laughs> So they're moving into where? Probably into their local um, SuperNAP or uh, internet exchange somewhere and they're, they're renting rack space there. How does that drive infrastructure spend? They're buying hardware and they're buying uh, effectively renting real estate in in someone else's data centers. I think we might see a shift more to that model with some of this now that we've got this. I don't want to put it back in that building that I'm not going to have all my people in anymore. There's no point in that. I guess I got to put it. I guess I got to put it in a colo. So that could move some of the numbers around for all of this. And not only that, but I think one of the things that a lot of folks are are maybe not missing, but it, it's not quite clicking with them is we've heard a lot of companies over the years who have been talking about, oh man, you know, we're, we're, we're the vendor of choice for Amazon or we're the vendor of choice for, for Microsoft or what have you. But when you get into the details of it, like you're starting to see that, that those larger cloud companies are what they're really trying to do is they're trying to own the whole stack. So maybe yeah. they're buying their equipment from an ODM and running Sonic on top of it, like Microsoft is, for example. It, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if if they're buying gear from you. They don't want your support services. They don't want your subscription services. They don't want your recurring revenue, which is one of the things that investors love to hear about. So you could almost consider the large cloud providers almost like a, a lost cause. But if a lot of people are moving their stuff out of those providers because it's eye-wateringly expensive or they just don't recognize the value that they thought we're going to do, but they've taken the precepts that they've made from cloud. Oh, well, you know, by automating this and using AI to do that, we can kind of do our own little hybrid multi-cloud type thing over here with this smaller provider who gives us like bare metal. The bare metal people don't have legions of programmers and brain trusts sitting around, you know, playing ping pong every day until a really cool hard problem hits them. Their solution to the problem is, oh, we just did it at like $10 million extra in business, spend that money on upgrades. And they're going to go out to the infrastructure vendors of choice, and they're going to buy that stuff up. Their timeline is not to eventually own the whole stack and divorce themselves from needing anybody. 
it's let's just keep the lights going just like any other service provider. So I think that maybe some of the enterprise infrastructure vendors are looking at that as a potential of, oh yeah, you guys don't know how to use any of this stuff. So we're going to have to give you professional services and we're going to have to give you this other stuff. And man, Wall Street's going to love us because they're paying every month for it. I'm interested to hear from, from both of you in the last 12 to 18 months, as we've seen budgets get constrained and, and supply chains uh, seem to go out further and further as far as lead times. Have you seen any evidence of customers taking this time to evaluate their current vendors and potentially jumping ship to others? Yeah, I am. I am hearing those stories on the networking side. Uh, because of availability. If Cisco or Juniper can't ship me the box I need now, but um, you know somebody else can, Microtech can, you know, for example, and they're they're ones that have stepped into the gap. Why wouldn't I buy that box? Okay, I've got some operational challenges there. I don't know that CLI. I don't know that API. I don't. You know, it's going to take me a little bit to make the box do what it needs to do for me. But uh, they've got it. They can ship it to me now. And with a little help, I can get this thing up and running. And yeah, there are some people that are evaluating for those, um, for those situations and making a go of it. Uh, I've heard some rumblings about uh, uh, FS, FS.com. Those folks are selling uh, switches with lots of power at uh, more or less discount prices and whatever NOS is on them, you know, some kind of a, a white box NOS that's on there. And that, there seems to be some people that are interested in that. But other people not moving because too scary and we don't have to right now. So if it's too scary and they don't have to right now, they're going to just wait until Cisco, Juniper, Arista, whoever can ship them the box that they know and love and are familiar with. Uh, but, but, but again, Tim, I have heard plenty of stories. There are people that are interested in shifting and I've done so. I wonder how much of it comes back to the old, because Ethan, you and I and Tim, you two have worked in, in enterprise IT long enough, like prior to 2020, it was always, well, what can you give me for the, the, the best value? Like the cheap, maybe not necessarily the cheapest amount of money, but definitely not the most expensive. And I know I've had friends who've told me, they're like, oh, I'm just going to drop my business card off here. You don't even have to buy from me. But boy, the next time that account manager comes in, if they see my business card, they're going to give you a big discount. Now they're looking at, okay, well, yeah, you're definitely the least expensive option or the best value option. But in the six months that it's going to take you to get gear to me, I can have my teams up and running on whatever it is. And I don't have to tie up those capital resources. I can spend a little bit more now and be ready to go. And then maybe when the refresh cycle comes around in a couple of years, I have more options. And if I was, I'll put myself in the the shoes of an account manager real quick, <laughs> um, that would scare the hell out of me because now I can't argue on price or points or, or all that other stuff. And it's completely out of my hands because <laughs> I can give you, I can give you 90% off on this gear, but if I can't get it to you in three months, yeah. you don't want it anymore. It, 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 it's a business decision that I think being, being made there on, uh, on this part, if I can bring my product to market, more or less now, because you can ship me uh, hardware now, then and then that you can make money on that product now. Um, it doesn't matter that if you'd waited six months, you could have saved some amount of money because you you it's an opportunity cost that uh, that, that you're that's exp very expensive if you can't bring your product to market. So why wouldn't you go now? It's something that um, a, a business can quantify. You can do the math and figure out exactly what it's going to cost you to spend more now, but get to market faster versus waiting and, uh, and saving a little bit on the, uh, on the CapEx. 
and the other funny thing about that, Ethan, is the driver for what we think is coming from a recession. One of the things that that government institutions are doing to try to stave it off is by raising interest rates to slow consumer spending. Ironically enough, when the interest rates go up, the calculus of the time value of money changes significantly because if I have to invest a whole bunch of money with you today, I no longer can earn interest on that money for six months or however long it is. And so my payoff, my, you know, the, the crazy stuff that the people in your accounting departments do to make this all make sense, return on investment and what have you, changes significantly. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why we even started to get that um, warning from venture capital, because yeah, if you invest money in, in a VC, in a startup and they eventually go public or they get bought or whatever, you know, that's, that's a pull in the slot machine handle. There's a return on that. And if I, if I back 10 companies and one pays off, then that's my return rate, which at the time was higher than interest. But if interest rates have gone up a lot, boy, that's an interesting thing. If I just park my money, my dry powder over here and it's making 4%, well, that's if you four can find the investment that that gives you a guaranteed four percent, and there's still not that many investment opportunities that'll give you that. They're they're out there, but but yeah, I I get your point for sure, Tom. So, what's the ultimate story? Do we think that enterprise IT really is recession proof? Are we going to be having this conversation in ten years again when we're old and even more grizzled than we were before? And uh, we're like, yeah, well, I remember the last two times that this happened. <laughs> Or is this a thing where the the enterprise IT vendors are kidding themselves? And, or maybe it could be a fact that, oh, yeah, you're recession proof now. But if it gets worse, who knows? Uh, my take is it will depend in part on the industry. But this recession is unique because of the global events preceding it. And that indirectly led up to it or directly, depending on how you want to make that argument. Because of that, we have certain markets that will be spending and are going to be, quote unquote, recession proof. Uh, and we have others that that won't be. There's a non-answer for you, Tom. Yes and no. It depends. How's that? I can just record that and play it back for everything <laughs> from here on out. I love yeah, that, that, that's essentially my answer, too. I, I agree that I think it's going to be very industry dependent. But what I think might be interesting on top of that is how are the industries that aren't affected as much going to end up indirectly being affected by the industries that are affected as much? Like how are, how are the scales going to potentially tip one way or the other? I think it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's a lot that goes into it, honestly. Um, you know, I, I, I unfortunately have to quote one of my favorite movies of all time, Gremlins 2. I mean, the only bellwether industries really are canned food and shotguns when you think about it. But, but more importantly, I think as you look at the capital resources that you have available to you, whether or not you have budget authority or not, you have to decide how best to invest that. Do you invest it in new hardware to keep your office running better? Do you invest it in financial instruments to make more money? There's lots of ways that you can do it. Um, I think that enterprise IT is probably a safer bet than investing in hot new startups like VR or anything like that, because ultimately, at the end of the day, if and when you can ship me an access point or a switch or a firewall or whatever it is, I actually use it and I have a, a use case for it today. And maybe some of those hot new technologies that they're starting to integrate in there, thanks to startup acquisitions, maybe they take a little bit more time to pan out. But I think at the end of the day, Enterprise IT, while maybe not as safe as canned goods, 
is probably a safe bet. So if you're looking to make a spend here pretty soon, can't hurt to uh, ask around. Just make sure you know when the gear is going to get here because you don't want to sign that contract and find out, oh, yeah, we'll be ready to ship that to you in 2024. <laughs> I want to thank our guests for joining us for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. You can always check out the latest episode of this podcast on our website at gestaltit.com. Also, if you enjoyed the networking conversation that we had here, you're definitely going to want to tune in for Networking Field Day 30, which will be taking place January 18th, 19th, and 20th. You can find more details about that at techfieldday.com. We thank you very much for tuning in. We thank you very much for the um, opportunity to debate this premise with you. And of course, we know that you have your own opinions as well and your own perspectives. So please make sure to leave those down in the comments so that we know what you have to say about this. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode. But until then, thanks for tuning in and take care. <laughs>